Well, good morning, everyone. So good to be with you today in the house of the Lord. Grab your Bibles with me, if you will. Turn to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is back towards the beginning. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, back in there. Numbers, Deuteronomy, chapter 6. If you're watching at home, I want to welcome you. Thank you for being a part of our service today. I hope, you, I hope that you've had a great time as we've worshipped God and you've uh, worshipped along with us. I hope that you felt his presence there as we have here today. I uh, want to encourage you to be a part of our uh, worship service where we give to the Lord. We return to him our tithe and offerings. And I want to encourage you to be a part of that, uh, to dive in and trust in God and watch what he will do in your life. Get your Bibles ready, get ready to hear from the Word of God today, get ready to receive, get ready to learn and grow, and uh, I believe that uh, through the Word today, you're going to be challenged, and uh, that God is going to touch your life in a great way. Today is a very important day. As Pastor Lindsay said, we will be um, laying hands, anointing, and blessing all of our students, as well as our teachers who are preparing to go back to school. Um, My question is, why should we take this seriously? Why should we do this? Okay, for, for those of us who are parents in the room, those of us who have kids that are going back to school or are teachers, the, the answer is very simple. Um, we, we want the best for our kids. We, we want them to get the best grades. We want them to get the scholarships. We want, we want them to excel. We want them to be good kids, to stay out of trouble, to, to befriend the right people. It's important if you have kids going to school. But what if you don't? Because in the room today, there are a lot of people here who don't have kids going to school, who aren't going to school themselves, who aren't teachers. So why come today? Why listen? Why make the effort to come out and hear a word that seemingly isn't for you? Here's the reason why. Because these children are our future. Simply put, children are our future. My father always says to me uh, that our nursery and our children and our youth ministries are the reproductive organ of the church. So we, we pour into our students. We put our best leaders there. We have incredible people serving and, and loving on your kids and, and uh, preaching to them and teaching them and working with them. We put our, our best people there. Why? Because we want to reproduce triumph in them. We want to reproduce our culture, our love for Christ, our love for the Word of God, our love to worship. We, we want that in them and we want to reproduce that. So we put our best people there because it is the reproductive organ of the church. And I, want to, I don't want to wake up 30 years from now and say, who are these kids who are, who are now adults and leaders that are leading the church? That's not who we were, Right? In the very same way, our school system is the reproductive organ of a nation. What we're putting into them while they're in school, elementary, all the way up to high school, college, uh, postgraduate degrees, all those things, it's the reproductive organ of a nation. So what we put in will one day produce uh, the leaders who are leading our nation. So... Who are we, who are we, I mean, have you met some of the professors? 
I had this one professor, he was just, he was just crazy. I don't even know what to tell you. One day he didn't show up for class for like an hour. And the reason why is somebody had set a paper bag underneath his car and he thought it was a bomb. So he, he had the bomb squad out and the whole deal. I'm not kidding with you. Right here at Lamar University. He, was, he, was, he, he would talk like he was in witness protection, but he would never quite say it, you know. And he would talk like, you know, you know where I grew up, you know, in, in Brooklyn, you know. You say something like that. That's the end of you. And you're like, what are you talking about, dude? It's a speech class. What are you talking about? Hey, hey, hey. You need to carried his bottle. I've told you about him before. Carried his bottle of uh, antibacterial economy size in his coat pocket with the, the uh, spout sticking out the side so he could just pump it like that. I've told you about him before, I think. So it's important. It's important. <laughs> You can't make that up, I promise. That's, tr that's true stuff, stuff right there. When you went to the website and you looked up and you wanted to see his picture on the website, it was blacked out. Like it had his name and, st and his credentials, but his picture was blacked out because I guess he was, I don't know, maybe he really was in witness protection. I don't know. I'm off track. You're getting me off track. It's your fault. So we take this seriously. We take this seriously. We pray for them. We bless them. We anoint them. We empower them to be a light in the darkness, to be the head and not the tail, to find success in every struggle, to make a difference, and to represent Christ, to represent you. As we get ready for school supplies and getting clothes and textbooks and all the things that we're doing to get ready, uh, I, I spent this week looking for... <laughs> Lord help me, a Justin Bieber lunchbox. <laughs> yes, I did. That was awesome going to Walmart. Do you have Justin Bieber lunchboxes? It's for my, my daughter, I promise. <laughs> but as we do that, I want to share with you today 10 commandments for Christian families going back to school. 10 commandments for Christian families going back to school. And uh, we're gonna, I, I want to challenge you to, to look at your life, look at your family, look at your home, and see if you're doing these things. And uh, maybe some of us need to make some adjustments as we move forward. I've asked you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 5. We're going to read about four or five verses here. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." Why don't we pray this morning before we get started? Father, I thank you for every person in this room, every person who's watching uh, on the internet right now. Father, I pray that you'd open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today, that you would allow us to see clearly that we could make whatever adjustments are needed, that our lives could line up with the word of God. I thank you for it right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Ten Commandments. Number one. You ready to go? Got your seatbelt on? Here we go. 
Number one, thou shalt not depend on the school for moral and spiritual teaching. I can't wait on the school to do it all. Because if I'm relying on, on schools or colleges to do it, I may not like what I end up with. In Deuteronomy here, very important piece of scripture. The first thing, the question that you have to ask when you read this scripture is, who is he talking to? Who is he talking to? The answer is very simple. He is talking to parents right here. He's talking to parents. And he's saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. I want you to notice here, before he tells the parents to do anything with their kids, the first thing he says in verse 5 is, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. You love the Lord your God with all your heart. You love the Lord your God with all your soul. And you love the Lord your God with all of your strength. Because it is hard to dictate your kids love Jesus if you don't love Jesus yourself. They know the truth about you. They know how you uh, are at church and how you are at home. And if they're two different things, if you're perfect at church and terrible at home, if you say all the right words at church and all the wrong words at home, they're going to know. And so before we can ever transfer anything that he's talking about to them, we have to ask this question as parents, do we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and strength? Then he says this in verse 6, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. So not only do I want you to love the Lord your God, but he says, I want you to get the commands that you're going to talk to your kids about. I want them to be in your heart. I want you to get them first. I want you to live them first. And then out of that, once they're deep in you, then you can pass them on to your kids. So here's what he says in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Notice, did he say here, you should allow the teachers to teach them for you? You should let uh, their coach talk to them about morals. You should, when they, when they get to college, you should put them under, uh, under, under coaches that, you know, I don't know if you've watched the news, uh, but allow other people who are uh, molesting innocent kids to teach them. You should put them under coaches who, uh, who are sleeping with women, hiring them on at the school, and then lying about it, lying to the police and leaving. That's, let's put it under them and allow them to teach us about moral and spiritual things. No, no, no. No, no, no. The Bible says very clearly, you shall teach them diligently. Stay with this thing. It doesn't happen overnight. Be diligent. Be faithful in it. Stay with it. Keep doing the right thing. Keep speaking the right thing. Pastor Lindsay, this morning... A reference to a, a statement that my father makes to me all the time, and it's this. If you do the right thing long enough, it'll pay off for you in the end. You do the right thing long enough, and good things will happen. You do the right thing long enough. So be diligent with teaching these commandments, with teaching these words. Notice he says, when, when you are at home, when you, are, when you sit in your house, and I know that Sitting around dinner tables as a family with no television and no cell phones seems to be a thing of yesterday. But maybe we should create some opportunities to sit with our kids in our home and just talk. Just talk. Just teach them. 
moral and spiritual teachings, the commandments of the word of God. Then he said, teach them when you walk down the path. Well, we don't walk very many paths in Beaumont. What do we do? We drive. (laughs) If you lived in New York City, you might walk. But if you live in Beaumont, Texas, most everybody drives a car to get to work. So, So here's what he's saying. When you're riding in the car, turn the radio down and talk to your kids. Turn to, uh, don't just sing the coolest song that's on the radio, but spend that moment when you have captive attention talking about the things of God, having a conversation, teaching them about moral things and spiritual things and right and wrong. Take those moments that you have. Then he says, when you lie down, when you go to sleep, pray with your kids, talk to them about Jesus, talk to them about the Bible. When, you, when they lie down, when you wake up, First thing you do, pray with your kids. Teach them how to give thanks for their day even before it's gotten going. Create opportunities to talk to your kids. Take advantage throughout the day. And then he says in verse 9, And you shall write on them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Set the rules of your home. This is how we live here. Others can do what they want. I'm not trying to tell my neighbor how to live their life. This is what we do in this house. We'll come back to this in a few minutes, but Joshua chapter 24, he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, but for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So in this home, we serve the Lord. You can do whatever you want to when you're raising your own family and, and your friends can do whatever they want to. But for me and my house, these are the rules. Set them on the doorpost. This is the way we live. We live according to the word of God. Number two, are you okay this morning? Thou shalt not compare your child's progress with another. Let's flip over to Psalm, scripture that many of us have read, but I've always wondered what it really meant, and I want to share with you what it means. Psalm 139, verse 13. For you formed me and formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's wound, I will praise you. Here it is. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Here's what he's saying. God, you created me. And you set my days before I ever even had one. You set and you laid this thing out for me. You created me in, in, in a purpose and a, and a life for me before I even was born. But I come back to this question. It sounds wonderful to be fearfully and wonderfully made, but I don't even know what that means. So I decided to look it up. You want to know what I found? Fearfully does not mean like scared, afraid. It's not fear like, uh, you know, afraid of a tornado or a grizzly bear or a mountain lion. That's not, that's not what it is. Afraid of the dark, things like that. That's not what we're talking about. When he says fearfully, he's, return, he's referring to, for instance, the fear of God. Not that we're afraid of God, but we're in awe of God. So it's being in awe of something. So, so here's what he's saying. 
when God made you and when God made your kids, he created you, he formed you, he shaped you, he laid out your future in front of you, and he looked back and he said, whoa, this is awesome. And he was looking at you. He was looking at your kids. He didn't mess up. What you thought were mess ups were really God creating you for something. And so he said, hey, God made you fearfully. Think about this. The, the God who made the heavens and the earth, who put the stars in the sky, who made this whole thing work out, created our whole ecosystem, made you and looked at you with awe. Whoa, that was good right there. <laughs> I'm patting myself on the back. <laughs> that was good. Then he said this. You were wonderfully made. Well, I thought wonderfully was just sweet and and lovely, but that's not what wonderfully means, the the Hebrew word here means. What it literally means is with distinction, uh, distinguished, or separated, or set apart. So watch this. God creates you. He looks back in awe. Whoa, this is awesome. But then it's so great that he says, you know what? I'm never going to make another one like that again. So he made you distinct. He made you a a different. Why Why do you struggle sometimes to feel like nobody else is like you? Because God didn't make anybody else like you. So he said, oh, man, this is great. I'm never going to make one like this again because it's that good. You You can't get this good again. So when we compare ourselves to other people, we're we're causing problems here because God didn't make us like our neighbor. Then the the word says, he looked back and, and the Bible says, marvelous are your works. He looked at you and said, this is marvelous. Marvelous means full of marvel. Wow. Amazing. Unbelievable. And that's what God did when he created you and your kids. Your kids may have been born into a difficult environment. They have, may have been conceived under bad circumstances. But that doesn't change the fact. But before any of that happened, God created them fearfully and wonderfully. And he created a path, a plan A purpose for your kids. So we can't compare ourselves to other people. You can't compare your kids. You can't compare yourself. It'll get you in trouble. One of the reasons why is because when you start comparing yourself to others, you take your eyes off of Jesus. It's hard to look at Jesus and others at the same time. Right? Because you're looking up and you're looking down. It, you just, it's difficult to make that work. Unless you are one of the few people that can make their eyes go different directions. So when we look at others and we start comparing ourselves to others, whether it's for me or for your own kids, you get into a place where you're taking your eyes off of Jesus. Why is this important? Because Jesus is the mold. Jesus is the, is the one we're supposed to be like. Jesus is the one that we're supposed to compare ourselves to and follow after. We were created in his image. Think about this. He created us in his image. So every one of us reflects a piece of God. No wonder when he looked at us, he looked at us in awe because he saw a piece of himself in you. And he said, whoa, I see me in you. That's awesome. 
when we built this stage right here that we're standing on, we had a few of our men and my dad and I were here building our carpenter. We were building this stage. We built pretty much every stage in all of our building and rebuilt them several times. And I don't enjoy building stages, but that seems to be one of the things we do when we build the stage. So we're building this stage. And uh, if you know anything about building, uh, we have to put studs in the floor to support so we can stand on it. And when the kids get up here, they can jump around and not fall through. It's probably a good thing, right? But the key is all these studs need to be the same height, the same length, or the stage will be just going all over the place. It won't be flat. So they all have to be the same length. So what we do, there's probably 40 or 50 of them underneath this floor. We measured one out, we cut it, and I used that one as a mark. And I laid it on the board, and I made a mark, and I cut that one and threw it to the side. And I laid my, my guide on the, ne- on the next board, marked it, cut it, and laid it to the side. And I kept on doing it, so I had everything cut. But I used that same board as my guide. So then when we got done, everything is the same length. But you know the problem is, if you've done any carpentry work in your life, if you measure one, cut it, Use that one to measure another one. Use your guide. Then you throw your guide out and use the new one as the guide. But you'll start with one this long. By the time you get one 60, 60 boards later, they'll be about this long. This stage would have kind of been going downhill a little bit. So the principle is this. Christ is our guide. He's the one we're looking to. So I'm looking to him But I'm going to be a little off. So don't compare yourself to me. Compare yourself to Christ. Compare yourself to the Christ in me. Compare yourself to the Word of God. Don't don't be comparing yourself. You get in in trouble. Um, One version says it like this over in, I believe it's 1 Corinthians. Beware the disease of comparisonism. That's pretty serious. Let's go to number three. Thou shalt teach them... To do their best while leaving room for failure. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 in the New Living says it like this. Whatever you do, do well. Whatever it is that you do, do well. Whatever it is that you're working on, do it with the best of your ability. Give it everything you have. Do it with the most excellence that you can give it. Because excellence honors God. And it becomes less about being the best and more about doing your best. I give it everything I have. Do well. And you know what? But the thing is, at some point, we're all going to fail. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to fall. We're all going to not quite pass the test. But you know the good thing about it is that God doesn't write us off for failures. Aren't you glad God didn't write you off for your mess ups? Thank you, Jesus. Because God is a redeemer. That's his name, Redeemer. So it's in his nature to redeem. He loves, look, read the word of God. It is full of people who have messed up, fallen, failed, and yet God said, I'm going to redeem them and make something great out of them anyway. So we, we, we teach our kids to strive for excellence, to do their best, but we know they're going to mess up and we're okay because we're going to pick them back up and help them get back on the right track. Number four. Thou shalt be, shalt be aware of the general content of what is being taught. In school, in church, at home, we need to know what is being taught to our kids. There may be some things you don't like. There may be some things you need to shore up. There may be some things you need to reaffirm. Get involved in projects. Get involved in homework. Know who your kids' teachers are. Know what classes they're taking. Know who their friends are. Get involved. So that you can know what's being taught. Be aware. Uh, 
Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. A great promise to parents. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Have you been training up your kids in the way they should go? If so, you have a promise. When he is old, he will not depart from it. There may be people in this room that are still waiting on that promise to come to pass, but I assure you the word of God will not return void. Hang in there. When he is old, he will not depart. Hold on. Keep believing. It's not over. God will see his word through. But I want you to know something in this verse. Uh, if, you'll put that, if you'll put that back up for me. Notice he says, train up a child in the way. In the New Testament, uh, the New Testament church used the term the way to refer to Christianity. The ways of God. The, the, the ways of Jesus. So train up a child in the way, the way the, the Bible says. But notice here, it's something else. It's, it's also something deeper. That he should go. All of us have a way. Now, it starts with lining up with the Word of God. But individually, remember, God made us all distinct. So individually, we all have a way, a purpose, something that we're great at, something that we're gifted to do. Part of our job as parents is to help them find their way. It's part of my role. It's for my kids to help them find their way. My father tells me all the time, when, especially when I was a kid, um, he tells me, son... You cannot be anything you want to be, which I know goes against the American dream. But he would say, you cannot be everything you want to be, anything you want to be. You can be anything you want to be inside the will of God. And his job was to help me find the way. I, I wanted to be a baseball player. I'll help you find out if that's really your way. I wanted to be an attorney and then a judge and then a politician. I'll do whatever it takes to help you find out if that's your way. Now, I ended up. And he didn't tell me that ministry was for me. I grew up with people calling me uh, pastor my whole life. Oh, there's the next pastor of Triumph Church right there. Look at baby pastor right there. Look, look at little pastor right there. I, and it, and it, I know what they were trying to do, but at times it was very frustrating for me. My dad, my father never did that. He helped me find my own way and arrived to it on my own conclusion. He put me on the right path. He, he taught me how to hear from God for myself. He taught me how to find out what my own giftings were. He helped me. He put me on the way. Are you training up your kids in their way that they should go? We can't just let our kids go crazy. Oh, you can do anything you want. Anything you set your mind to do, you can do. Maybe, but is that the way that God has for you? No, no, no. Help them find the will of God for their life. Can I get an amen this morning? Amen. Be in the know as to what your child is being taught. Number five, thou shalt not criticize kids' teachers in their presence. If there's any teachers in the room, can I get an amen? amen. Okay. <laughs> I am sure that somewhere in history, there has been a teacher that had it out for a kid did not like them, didn't like their parents, didn't like anything about them, and just made it their mission to cause them to fail. But can I say to you that that's probably few and far between? Can I say that 
I'm going to say most, if not all, teachers don't get into the teaching business because they want to cause kids to fail. I just want to mess up everybody's, as many kids' life as I can, so I'm going to teach. I just want to mess everybody up. I just want to mess them all up. No, 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 no. They don't get in it for that. And I'm pretty sure we don't get in it for the money. So why do we get in it? Teachers teach because they want to pour into kids. They want to help them learn. They want to help set them up to be great in life, to give them the tools that they need to be successful, to be uh, all that they can be. That's what, that's what teachers want to be a part of. So here's the question. If my kid has five teachers that are out to get him every year, odds are it's less about the teacher and more about my kid. And I know that's hard to take. I know that... But can I just say the odds are not in favor of your kid, all of his teachers not liking him and trying to make him fail, and it's their fault. It's just the odds are not in their favor. I know this is a news flash for some of us. Kids lie. <laughs> Kids lie. They are master manipulators. So were you. You know you manipulated your parents. You know you, know you worked them. You know you did. You played them against each other. You played them against other teachers. Oh, you, oh yeah, we worked them. You didn't have a corner on the market. Your kids can do it too. They're playing you all the time. Oh, they're working you. And you may see it sometimes and not see it, but that don't mean they're not trying. My son comes to me and says, Mommy said I could have a snack. I don't think so. Oh, yeah, she did. No, I don't think she did. <laughs> you didn't eat your dinner. It's still sitting on the table. I don't think that she made a major departure from our belief, which is you have to eat your dinner, and, and suddenly you can have a sucker because, no, that doesn't make sense. But that doesn't mean he's not going to try. <clears throat> when we start to criticize teachers in front of our kids, we start breaking down authority. Start breaking down authority. And if we're not careful, we help them justify their own failures and lack of effort. We do this long enough, and we're now teaching them that any authority you don't like, it can just be argued that someone doesn't like me, therefore, it's not my fault I didn't get the A. It's not my fault I'm not, I'm not the starter. It's not my fault I didn't get the job. It's not my fault I didn't get the promotion. It's not my fault I didn't get the ministry position or, or the loan or whatever else it might be in our lives. We start breaking down authority. We start going down this road. Where does it stop? And here's the big problem. If I keep teaching kids to dislike and go around the authorities in their life, Eventually, they will dislike and go around my authority. It's just the way it is. Romans chapter 13 teaches us to honor all the authorities in our life. Be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. You can study this chapter right here on your own, and you'll understand. Follow authority. It honors God when we honor the authorities in our life. Let's go to number six. 
Thou shalt respect and show an interest in knowing your kid's friends. Do you know the most important thing to the average teenager in this world? It is not you. It is their friends. They want to be where their friends are. They want to go where their friends are. They want to do what their friends do. They want to wear what their friends wear. They want to say what their friends say. They want to act like their friends act. This is the way it is. It's always been this way. It's all about friends. A survey was taken about the most important things in a kid's life, in teenagers' life. 80% of them listed friends in their top one or two. 60% of them listed family like in their top ten. Like you, you crack the top ten. Right? I know this is a harsh reality for us, but you know we have to recognize what's important to our teenagers and get involved. One of the ways we build bridges in our lives, whether it's to other people or whether it's to our own family members, is to get involved in the things that they're interested in. What are they interested in? They're interested in their friends. Have you ever had an argument with, with your teenager that over a friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or something that ended or, or had this statement in it somewhere? You don't even know them. Have you ever had that? I said it. You probably said it. You probably had your teenager say it. If you got to, I was in youth ministry a long time. It's been said a lot. Well, here's the truth. If you don't know them, maybe you should get to know them. Maybe you should get to know who your friends are hanging out with, who your friends are. I'm, I, I'm a firm believer that the Bible says uh, in, in 1 Corinthians that good, uh, bad company corrupts good morals. I'm a firm believer in that and, and knowing and making the right relationships, helping your kids find the right relationships. But before you can cut them off, you at least got to know them. You got to show some interest. Know who's inter- influencing your kids. Number seven. Thou shalt treat teens like adults, but expect them to act like kids at least three days a week. The crazy thing about teenagers is they will act like kids if we don't treat them like adults. And they will act like kids even if we treat them like adults. It's going to happen. But part of the problem is for every teenager, and if you remember being a teenager, your life is in transition. And we all think we're grown up and we can handle this thing. But in truth, everyone around us knows we're not grown up. And at times, when it works out for us, we want to be a kid. And when it works out for us, we want to be an adult. We want to make our own decisions and go where we want to go. Our lives, their lives are in transition. They, they, they don't want to be a kid, but they're not fully ready to be an adult. Um, you know, when, when you have young kids, they typically think you're great. My kids think I'm the, I'm the best. They just, they just love me. They just, they just think I'm, I'm wonderful. My, my kids went with my, uh, my parents to Slitterbond and Galveston for a day and a half this week. My daughter called me like 18 times, crying, I miss you, Daddy. I just want to be here. I just want to be here. I don't know what you're saying, Kennedy, speaking English. She just, oh, just, just loves me. She thinks I'm great. She thinks I hung the moon. I'm not telling her any different. I'm just letting her roll with it. Just enjoy it. Just enjoy this season. Just, just, just live it up. The thing about teenagers is they tend to think their parents are old and out of date, out of touch. So here's what I figure. If I'm half as great as my young kids think I am, and I'm only half as dumb as my teenagers think I am, I'm probably right on track somewhere. I'm, I'm, I'm going the right direction. So I've got to give my kids room to grow. I've got to look for opportunities to trust their judgment. 
I have to allow them to make decisions, but allow them also to deal with the consequences. My father was very good at this in my life. He would show me the consequences. You can make whatever decision you want, but here's going to be the consequences, whether good or bad. You make this decision, this is what's going to happen. You make this decision, and this will happen. You decide, but you're going to have to deal with what happens, good or bad, in the middle. I'm trying to teach my kids the same way. On Mother's Day, uh, true story, my son, we, if you may remember on Mother's Day, we did the Mother's Day song, and all the kids were singing, and they did great. Everybody did wonderful except my son. In the first service, he refused to sing. Everybody's up here. Where's my son? I'm, Lindsay wasn't here, so I was going to take her some video and send it to her. It was going to make her day on Mother's Day to see her, her son uh, singing to her. It was going to be wonderful. I look back there. No, he's not there. He's sitting with Alyssa in the back. Okay, between services, I said, Randy, why didn't you sing? Because I didn't want to. I said, let me explain something to you. You're going to sing. You're going to sing, son. You're going to sing in this second service. I'm going to send a video to your mom, and you're going to smile, and you're going to love it. Right? Have you ever said that to your kids? You're going to do this, and you're going to love it. <laughs> right. So I'm telling him. I, and so he says, no, I'm, not, I'm not singing, Dad. I don't want to sing. I'm not going up there. I don't want to sing. So I said, fine. Here's your options. You can go up there and smile and sing, and everything will be lovely. We'll go to lunch today. We'll send the video to your mom. Or it's going to be great. Or you choose not to sing, and I'm going to blister your behind. No big deal. You make the decision. So we come out here. You may remember there was a kid screaming bloody murder in the back. That was my son. I'm not going up there. <laughs> Make me proud, boy. Made me proud. <laughs> so I hear him and I'm like, just tell him, never mind. So here he comes and he sits down beside me. I said, son, you going to sing? Or are you going to take the spanking? He looked at me. I'll take the whipping. <laughs> Okay. We sang. We went back to my office after service. He got a whipping. I told you, this is the consequences. You don't sing, you're going to get a whipping. You said, I'll take the whipping. I delivered. That's true stuff right there. I'll take the whipping. I'll never let him forget that either. I'll take the Just look at me. Just serious. I'll take the whipping. When I was growing up, as, uh, as most of us were, uh, I couldn't wait to get my driver's license. And uh, man, I finally got my driver's license. And dad, um, I had been raising money. I'd been pouring concrete to save money to buy a truck. And so I finally, I had enough, a, a certain amount of money saved. And we went and test drove this one truck. I couldn't really afford it, but dad wrecked it while we were test driving it. So he had to pay the rest of it. It was a great day. <laughs> <laughs> So I got the truck I wanted, and I could only afford half of it. He had to pay the other half. And uh, But he told me, he said, son, uh, he said, I'm going to help you get a truck. I'm going to help you save money. I'm going to help you learn to take care of it, all these things, but you're going to pay your insurance. I'm not paying your insurance, not one time. I'm not paying your insurance at all. I said, yes, sir, I had a job. I can handle this. I just give him my truck. So I'm paying my insurance. And what he told me was, he said, if you want to drive fast, you can drive as fast as you want to. When you get pulled over and get a ticket, I'm not paying the ticket. And I'm not paying when your insurance goes up. You're paying it. So it's going to cost you money. You make this amount of money per week, and you can spend it all on insurance and tickets if you would like to. You get in an accident, I'm not paying your deductible, and I'm not buying you a new truck. 
None of it. It's on you. You're paying it. So you make the decision on how you want to drive this truck and what you want to do with it. I'm not paying your gas. You buy your own gas. You can go anywhere you want to, but you're buying your own gas. I'm not going to do that. So it's your decision. This is the process he's taken me along as he's teaching me how to live my life and to be an adult. So as you can imagine, it wasn't very long. I got my first ticket. I haven't had many in my life. And the reason why is because it was expensive. It cost me a lot of money. I didn't appreciate it. I didn't get to do anything for like a month and a half while I was paying the ticket off. So I've got a truck, but I can't use it because I can't put gas in it because I'm paying for a ticket. I decided to slow myself down. My insurance went up. Less money in my pocket. It just wasn't worth it. I don't speed very much anymore. I do my best not to get into accidents. And if I happen to do something, I try not to make a claim on my insurance. I just, I'll just fix my, no thanks, I'll fix my own car. Why? Because it's expensive and I don't like paying it. So this is the consequences. Drive as fast as you want to, Randon. You want to drive 80 miles an hour down Farm Road 365 and the speed limit is 60? Hey, be my guest. When he pulls you over, don't call me. And my dad is the kind, he would let me sit in jail for just a little while. Not like a long time. Not enough to like cause me major problems in my life, just enough to make me reminded I didn't like sitting in jail. So that's the way he thinks. And it worked well for me. Because the thing about being an adult is you can, you can decide to do anything you want to do. Drive as fast as you want, take anything you want, do anything you want, but you also and you alone have to deal with the consequences. And this is part of being an adult. So my, my father taught me and treated me like an adult, but understood that I'm going to act like a kid, and he was okay with that. But he still taught me things. Number eight. Thou shalt laugh often. Thou shalt laugh, laugh often. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22. A merry heart does good like medicine. Some of the original manuscripts said it like this, uh, translated it like this. A merry heart makes medicine even better. You have to take the medicine, but a merry heart makes it better. You remember Mary Poppins? Just a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Did not like Mary Poppins very much. She scared me. She flew around with an umbrella. And I still can't spell supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. So I just, no thanks. But here's the truth. There are things in our life that we have to go through. There are things in life that we have to do. But if you do it with a smile and with a joy and with a happiness, with a little laughter, you can get through it. It makes life easier. It's, It's doable. Yes, you have to study for that test. But you can have some fun in your life in the process. I really believe it's up to me to help create an atmosphere of joy and peace in my home. To, to make sure that laughter is filling the air. To make sure that happiness dominates the atmosphere. I want to find things for my family to laugh about together. Number nine. Thou shalt maintain a safe home. Is your home a place of safety Can your kids talk to you? Can your kids bring their problems to you? Is your home a place where the prodigal son would come back to? You remember the story about the prodigal son who left home to live things the way he wanted to, but when he got in trouble, 
He, can't, he made his way back home. You know, you don't have to look any further than the brother and his attitudes as to why he wanted to leave home. But you also don't have to look any further than the father and his attitudes, his heart, as to why he returned. Because when he came home, when he came around the corner, the father was sitting there waiting and ran to meet him. Is your home a place of safety? That even when your kids are in problems, they can come to you. They can come home. And number 10, very simply, thou shalt bless. One of the roles, one of the reasons we have this day every year is because it is the role of the priest to bless the people of God. In Numbers chapter 6, God said to Moses, tell Aaron and his priest to bless them like this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his count, his face, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance among you and give you peace. That's what he said. He said, bless them like this. So we're going to bless your kids today. We're going to pray over them. We're going to bless them. We're going to, we're, we're going to uh, speak things over their lives. On top of that, at the, end, at the conclusion of every service, I bless you. I speak the word of God over your life and bless you. It's part of my role as the priest of this house. But scripture also teaches it, teaches us that a parent can and should bless their children. In Genesis chapter 27, Jacob, who is the younger of two, two uh, twin boys, his older brother is Esau, he had the birthright, but he convinces Esau to sell him the birthright for a hot meal. So now Jacob has the birthright. The problem is he still has to convince the father. So what does he do? The father, Isaac, is basically blind. So Jacob comes in and he puts some fur on his arm to feel like, so his arms felt like Esau and he, and he makes him a meal that's, that was something that Esau would make and he brings it to the father and he convinces the father that he is the older brother. So Isaac blesses Jacob thinking he's, thinking he's Esau. He blesses him. He, he gives him the birthright. He speaks over his life. He declares things over him. Here's what we find in verse 33. Esau comes in to receive his blessing and his father says, I've already done that. What are you talking about? And here's what his father says in verse 33. Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him. And then here's the powerful part. And indeed, he shall be blessed. I said it, and it's going to happen. I blessed him, and come hell or high water, he's going to be blessed. I spoke it over his life, and I can't take it back. It is out there now, creating things, creating a future for him. Are you blessing your children? Are my kids living in the world that I created for them with my words? Are they blessed because I said they are blessed? Are they blessed because I have read the scripture over them and, and spoken the word of God over them and declared uh, uh, prof prophetic words over their life? Are they blessed? And indeed, they shall be blessed. That's how much power your words contain over the life of your kids. The problem is, 
the same power to bless, you have that same power to curse. And it is possible that our kids are dealing with what they're dealing with because we spoke it into their lives or we didn't speak a blessing over their life. We cursed them or we didn't bless them. Now, maybe this isn't you. And if it's not, no problem. But my challenge to you today is bless your kids. Declare the word of God. Don't say, well, they, 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 you know, they really struggle at school. No, 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 no. Don't say that. Speak the word of God of them. They have the mind of Christ. They're going to be the head and not the tail. Well, my kid's just not as smart as everybody else. No, 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 no. Don't speak that. We don't have to live in a, in a world that is outside of reality. We, 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 don't, we don't have to be one of these American Idol parents who brings their kids up in, in front of Simon Cowell and the dude can't sing. And they say, who told you you could sing? Well, my mama told me I could sing. Well, there's a difference between blessing and cursing and then helping recognize, okay, you're not cut out to sing. Right? So we got to be wise with this thing. But we bless them. We speak life over them. And when you speak it, like Isaac said, I bless them. And indeed, they shall be blessed. They shall be blessed. I want my kids to be blessed. And it starts with me as their father to speak a blessing over their life. Declare the word of God.